feel Sun in the sky You know how I feel Breeze drifting all by You know how I feel It's a new dawn It's a new day It's a new life for me It's a new dawn It's a new day It's a new life for me Woo And I'm feeling This is KZYX, Philo, 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah, 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. We're also streaming live at KZYX.org. Mendocino County Public Broadcasting listener-supported community radio. We're broadcasting live today from the Carnegie Library Studio in Willits, California. And up next, we have the Farm and Garden Show. This month's Farm and Garden Show will be focusing on uh, the local organization Good Farm Fund and all of the wonderful impacts that it is having through our community. We have a couple of uh, members of the steering committee and we've got a farmer on the line and so we've got some great stuff coming up for you. Um, and wow, what an amazing community calendar that was. I had some uh, some of those that I'd like to, I wanted to announce as well, but I'm glad that we got it ahead of time. So just one that I would really want to highlight that wasn't listed there, I believe, um, is a workshop coming up from the West Company, the West Business Development Center. There's a lot of interesting business workshops that they're hosting right now in response to COVID and the impact it's having on our business community. So this workshop is called Alternatives to Closure, Negotiating Your Lease. This is tomorrow, December 8th. Um, it's a free event and um, it's from 11 to 12. That's tomorrow, Tuesday, 11 to 12. Um, are you a business owner looking to adapt? Don't want to close your business, but not sure what options are you have during COVID? This is an exploration of solutions to help you navigate COVID and come back stronger than before. The current economic situation is putting business owners and landlords in a unique position where each has an opportunity to work together for a positive outcome. For small businesses, it's time to start planning and strategizing how to negotiate your lease and learn what your options are before 2021. Whether you have a restaurant, sales floor, or warehouse, you need to learn how to communicate effectively with your landlord. This is also true for farmers, I would say. And so um, for this workshop, you can bring your lease negotiating questions to um, this session and learn best strategies that small business owners can use to save. If you'd like more information, you can check out West Business Development Center online um, to register. And um, I believe all of the other events that I wanted to announce were already announced in our community calendar. So thanks for that. Um, I will say that there are year-round farmers markets still happening. And so our seasonal farmers markets are largely closed. But Fort Bragg on Wednesday from 2 to 4 is a, is a year-round um Farmer's Market, the Laytonville Farmer's Market, Monday at 2.30. We've got, let's see, Ukiah, Saturday from 10 to 1, and Willits, Thursday from 3 to 5.30. So you can um, you can find all of that information at the Mendocino, Mendocino County Farmer's Market Association website. That's mcfarm.org. And um, I'll just say also that support for KZYX comes from our members and Larson Livery and Transfer Company 
a vehicle storage facility providing indoor climate-controlled space for long-term storage of classic cars, motorcycles, RVs, and boats. For more information about Larson Livery, you can call 707-357-8265. All right. So we have the Farm and Garden Show coming up next. And like I said, we'll be talking about the Good Farm Fund. And I will just play one video for us before we bring on our guests. Um, this is a video from up in Laytonville from Irene's Garden. And Irene wanted to share with the community some of the impact that she has felt from the Good Farm Fund. It's a beautiful video, and I will just describe what I'm looking at um, before I play it. We're looking at a huge field of garlic and um, it's nicely mulched and being weeded and Irene is standing in the center of it and here she is. This is my farm but you can't everything is taken out of it so it's hard to see right now um, this the size of the farm but we do 10 acres we have a three acre orchard over there and um, this is what we do. The reason, one of the reasons that I can actually do it without going crazy, although we do go a little crazy, is because one of the grants I got from Good Farm Fund was a tractor. And the tractor is what has this whole area. It plows and disks it. And then we have my original tractor that does the in-row cultivation. So we love the Good Farm Fund. And uh, thanks. All right, that was Irene. Um, she's a she's a, a community favorite, and I know she's a favorite of our guests too. So I will bring on line now um, Elizabeth and Caroline. Elizabeth Archer, welcome to the program. Hello, thank you so much. Great, good, good. We've got you all the way from Anaheim with us, and Caroline. Uh, Radice, are you there? Hi, Ruthie. Yeah, all right. Thank you both so much for joining us um, in the studio today. And a uh, big part of the reason why this month, December, we chose Good Farm Fund is that there was just a Giving Tuesday campaign that was put on by the Good Farm Fund. So we saw a lot of videos like that, like the one Irene posted. Um, and we saw a lot of the farmers who've received grant grants from Good Farm Fund in the past, kind of coming out of the woodwork and reminding us that they are still there and that they uh, have benefited from this excellent program. And um, another reason why this is a great moment to talk about Good Farm Fund is that the 2020 grant cycle just ended. And so currently the committee, of which Elizabeth is part, are in negotiations or discussions, I guess, about um, the grants. And um, so we'll be talking about a bunch of different things, Good Farm Fund related. Um, Caroline, as one of the founding members of um, of Good Farm Fund, Caroline, can you give us a quick uh, description of the the mission that Good Farm Fund the that Good Farm Fund has? Yeah, definitely. Um, our mission is essentially to provide direct support to small farms to help them thrive in our community and then increase local food access for underserved members, members of the community. That's it in a nutshell. Nice. Yeah. And I, I've found a lot of interesting information on the website, on the goodfarmfund.org website. One piece of it that I thought was really important to highlight why Good Farm Fund is so important is that access to financial capital 
persists as the chief obstacle for farm startups. And according to a recent USDA Economic Research Service report, a leading factor for why so few beginning farmers are young. Those working on national projects to help build small farm viability attest to the inadequacy of existing capital. And so Elizabeth is um, pointed out to me that she wears a lot of different hats related to Good Farm Fund. So Elizabeth, can you kind of give us an overview of uh, your involvement, your role in Good Farm Fund over the years? Yes, absolutely. So when Good Farm Fund was originally established, um, I was working at North Coast Opportunities, which is the community action agency that serves Lake and Mendocino counties, and also um, Sonoma and Humboldt in different capacities. And Good Farm Fund needed a fiscal sponsor, which is a misnomer because a fiscal sponsor is an organization that you actually, um, smaller organizations that don't want to go through the process of becoming a 501c3, which is really grueling, um, join up with an existing 501c3 and pay them a little bit of money to handle all of the administrative side of it. So NCO is the Good Farm Fund fiscal sponsor, and I was originally their liaison with the agency. Um, I have volunteered at, I think, just about every single event that Good Farm Fund has done. And as Carson and Bees, which is a honey uh, a, a honeybee company that my husband and I own, we have actually been Good Farm Fund grant recipients. Um, and then this year, for the first time, I'm sitting on the grant committee, which is exciting because I love giving out money. That's wonderful. That's so many different angles that you have related to Good Farm Fund. Um, and we'll be hearing about hopefully we'll be hearing about all of those. The only piece of that that we didn't get to experience this year was the the event side, and that was really how <laughs> Elizabeth is making a crying face on, on Zoom. <laughs> so because this is radio, I have to describe all of your facial expressions <laughs> as I'm watching. <laughs> it is so sad because the those events, the Winter Feast and the... Um... What's the summer one called? The solstice event. Yeah. The, yes. Oh, they're just, they're the two best events in the county all year. And it's really. I know the winter yeah. feast should be tomorrow, tomorrow, like the second Tuesday after Thanksgiving, I think is when we've done it every year for the past six or seven years. I can't even remember. And it should be tomorrow. And I'm so sad we're not doing it. I can't believe the last big catering job that we did. Um, the last big catering job that I did in 2019 was the winter feast and we had like almost 300 people there. And it's kind of a, it's surreal thinking about how that's such a lovely event and it's so much fun. It's totally my favorite catering job of the year for anyone who doesn't know. In addition to my job at my role at the good farm fund, I also have, I have a farm to table catering business and we've been cooking for the winter feast for many years, but it's crazy thinking about how, the act of having 300 of us in a small space together, it's like, I can't even imagine when that'll happen again, if ever. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it was the primary um, avenue for fundraising for the Good Farm Fund. What, you know, when, when you and others first started Good Farm Fund, it was like a for the farmers, by the farmers kind of movement. And we all grow food and you're an amazing cook. And so it just made sense. Like, farm to table food let's do big fundraisers that way and so that was the that was the vehicle for fundraising in the past um but this year without being able to throw those events um can you describe how the good farm fund pivoted um in order to provide funding still in a year when probably farmers need it most 
I think the word pivot is a probably sounds more intentional and planned <laughs> than what actually <laughs> happened. Uh-huh. But like, you know, we'll roll with it. <laughs> um, I think uh, what ended up happening and what ended up happening is we've, we've been over the years uh, developing this other fundraising like this other fundraising arm where it's not all through farm to table events um, because we just have been wanting to broaden our fundraising and not just be super reliant on that only because they're a lot of work. So we have a foundation sponsorship program where local businesses who want to invest in the community um, are able to be foundation sponsors and they can uh, make a donation between $2,500 and $5,000, I think is the range and then they can have a grant named for them for their business um so in the past we've had redwood credit union fry winery um ukiah natural foods flocana i wonder if sonoma clean power sonoma clean power um so it really ended up being those businesses that helped us keep going uh this year redwood credit union right away recognized that Good Farm Fund was a really uh, uh, key player in providing food security during, um, and then we had an an interesting from Patty Bruder, who's the executive director at Loop the Good Farm Fund in some, I wonder if I can explain it well. Caroline, I'm going to just stop you for a second. Your internet is making you sound a little robotic, so... Well, I love seeing your face. Maybe turn the camera off. I'll turn my video off. I don't want to sound robotic. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll just it. say while you're doing that, the, the I'm looking at the list of grant recipients right now on the website and that Redwood Credit Union, I think that this was what you were saying is that they recognized that Lake County was really in need of support. Is that where you were going with that? Oh, um, is this any better now? Yeah, sounds Sorry, great. Man. Sounds great. So Redwood Credit Union early in 2020 in the pandemic recognized that the Good Farm Fund was going to be a key organization in supporting food security during the pandemic. So they stepped up almost immediately um, at the beginning of the pandemic with a donation for this year. Got it. And wasn't their donation in 2019? It looks like all of the recipients were Lake County. I think that they focused their funding on Lake County Farms last year. Yes, yes. that was Lake County last year. Mm-hmm. And then if I have the details correct, I believe it's focused on COVID relief this year. Um, it is it is challenging to keep track of all the details of all of our funders because the great thing that's happening is it's getting, we've grown every single year. So it went from this small project that was easy to memorize all the details to something that's quite large. And now I have to have a bunch of notes in front of me when I'm talking about it. Um, The most exciting part of it this year, though, is that we received funding that was through the County of Mendocino, which uh, got funding from the CARES Act. And I am not an expert on how all of this pandemic funding works, so I might have this wrong. That's my disclaimer. But I believe it's funding that goes towards COVID relief, and some of it is specially earmarked towards uh, support for farmers. And so... North Coast Opportunities has been uh, 
involved in how to disperse some of this funding. And since we have this farm grant program in place already, we were a natural fit to help get funding out to farmers. I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's right too, Caroline. Great. And so in 2015, there, you know, the nine local farms received to over just over $7,000. In 2016, it was $20,000. 2017, $30,000. 2018, $41,000. Here we are in 2020, and the grant committee is looking at distributing how much? Um, 85. $85,000 up from the first year seven thousand dollars yeah yeah after, <laughs> after this grant cycle we will have distributed two hundred and fifty thousand dollars of grant funding to small farms around mendocino and lake county which is a massive amount of amount of money that's amazing a quarter million dollars invested in small funds in our community it's in small farms. so exciting it really is yeah and that's like one of the the most inspiring parts of um working on this i i an interesting note about the good farm fund is that uh we're all so proud of the work that we've done and it has such an impact on these small farms but since we're a volunteer driven organization we do not have a marketing budget or a marketing team that's sharing the impact stories of what a difference this is making and so sometimes i i am very aware of the fact that the general public and the like local food supporters in our area don't necessarily know just what a big difference all of this is making. And um, I'm so I'm so inspired by seeing this effort that's really been a true community-wide grassroots effort um, where people have seen that they want to make positive changes for local food security in our area. And we've worked together for many years now, and it's really making a difference. Um, and it's something that's so special about Mendocino County where we we like decided as a group we want to work on this and we've worked together and the list of people who have the list of people who have joined in this is so long I could never I could never even hope to rattle it all off but support from North Coast Opportunities, the Farmers Market Association, all of the farms, all of the chefs who participate in our events, um, all of the guests who come to our events and donate, um, it's hundreds and hundreds of people that have had a really active role in this, have chosen to make a positive change in our community and it's working. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and like add, you said, oh, go ahead, Elizabeth. Oh, I just wanted to say um, in response to Caroline saying hundreds and hundreds of people, I know it's hard for any of us to imagine large events, especially indoor ones, but um, as someone who's planned a lot of events in the county, the fact that these two events consistently sell out year after year is really unheard of. I mean, it's very rare for events to, to sell completely out and to the point where we're actually selling extra tickets and just, you know, assuming that a few people won't show up <laughs> and then making sure that we have extra chairs on hand because everybody always shows up because not only are the events just magical. I mean, honestly, that's the best word for them. They're magical events, but you feel so good participating in them. It's there's, I've never been in a room with so much hope and, um, you know, good holiday cheer as at the, the winter feasts. So it's really a loss to not be able to do that this year, but 
I know that the community is going to be there and ready to jump on board once this pandemic is behind us. And I'm, I'm going to play a short clip right now from Edenberry Farm, because I think that it's it's like you said, a lot of the magic is the people and um and and I have learned a lot about Lake County Farms and and really like met new farmers and and expanded my idea of what our local farm scene is, especially through that Redwood Credit Union um, Lake County specific year. And so without a marketing team, of course, the Good Farm Fund um, put on this Giving Tuesday event, and were and we were able to get a lot of videos from farmers who were being impacted. So here is Edenberry Farm. Um, in Lake County. Hi, this is Mike Edenholm with Edenberry Farm. And today we're out here taking care of our um, orchard and getting ready for fall and winter. Uh, one of the things that we were thinking about while working on this is that without the help of the Good Farm Fund, this orchard probably wouldn't exist. Um, they've been uh, great supporters of, of Edenberry Farm over the years. And on this Giving Tuesday, we would like to give back, and we would like to encourage all of you to give back as well. Uh, so you can either follow the link below the, this entry, or you can go to the goodfarmfund.org slash give, uh, and give a little uh, money to local farms in Northern California. Thank you very so that was Mike, and he was standing in an orchard with 150 stone fruit trees that were replaced um, and donated by the Good Farm Fund. Um, and that's just one example of one of the many, many grants that have been given out. Um, I'm going to just list a couple of these um, because we were, t we're talking big numbers here, $250,000 over the over these years. And, uh, and so where is that actually going? You know, we're talking about how access to capital is one of the hardest things for farmers. So, um, so these are generally grants that are for infrastructure, um, for equipment. Um, so for instance, Big Mesa Farm is one of our, one of our newer farms that moved into the county just a couple of years ago. Uh, they're in Compchi and in 2019, they got a cold storage, cold storage unit. Cerro Negro got commercial refrigerator, Covalu Organics, a front loader for the tractor. Um, natural products of Boonville and the forest people worked together and got a, an autoclave sterilizer for their mushroom operation. Um, Nature's Tune got an upgrade to their irrigation system. Another mushroom producer, Mulligan Gardens up in Laytonville, um, got a, um, a chopper for their mushroom medium. They also posted an amazing video of how they used to how they used to do this with a lawnmower running over a straw bale and it took them about 30 minutes where now it takes them 30 seconds to do the same the same project um fortunate farms got a manure spreader we just heard from edenberry farm with their stone fruit trees to replace dead trees um there's soil improvements over the years i've through this list i'm looking at um a lot of soil improvement, so soil amendments for new grain fields for the Mendocino Grain Project. Um, a lot of cold storage needs, cold storage unit for Green Uprising Farm, cold storage unit for Cinnamon Bear Farm. I know Strong Roots partnered with the Food Hub to put in a, uh, another cold storage unit. Um, there's tractors and equipment. There, um, there are all sorts of different projects through this list. And... Um, and so Elizabeth is now this year on the committee looking at grant applications. Um, 
And this year, I'm, I know, has been a really hard year for a lot of farmers. Elizabeth, can you talk about what, what it's been like for you on that, on that committee and hearing from farmers what their needs are this year? Sure. So this year we have 30 applications. Um, I think it's actually 31. And although this year has certainly been hard and we do ask on the applications to, you know, detail impacts by COVID and wildfire, because, you know, no one can forget that even as a pandemic rages, California is still impacted in what is now a year long fire cycle. Um, so yeah, it's been a rough year, but I feel like the the needs of the farmers really hasn't haven't changed. People still need cold storage. They need um, new equipment. They need money to fix existing equipment. Um, you know, one farmer is asking to buy a bunch of compost um, and other soil amendments. And so yeah, I'm I haven't been on the grant committee before this year, but based on my review of the applications, I don't think what people are asking for is different. I just think the need is greater because so many farms, like so many businesses, have lost a lot of business this year um, because of COVID. So yeah, it's it's so thrilling that we have $85,000 to, to distribute. And I want to um, point out, in case it hasn't been made clear, that these are grants, they're not loans. So um, not only is access to capital, you know, challenging for small farms, but typically you have to pay capital back with interest. And these grants are grants, you know, they're, they're monies that you don't ever have to repay. You just have to write a pretty easy grant report uh, twice and let the committee know what you've done with the money. So it's really a double whammy of having access to some capital and the capital that you then don't have to pay back. Elizabeth, I'd love to jump in to piggyback off of that. Um, I have kind of thinking about why we do all of this. Ruthie, you had mentioned Big Mesa Farm and they're like a good, they're like a good case study of how this all works and why we choose to invest in these farms. Um, Big Mesa does a lot of wholesaling, and so their products are available on the Mendeley Food Hub. And for anyone who doesn't know, the Food Hub this year did a really great job of launching a brand new program, a COVID relief CSA for some of the highest, uh, the highest at-risk people in, in our area. Uh, so these are medically at risk, underserved communities, people who for some reason or another can't afford food or can't get to a grocery store. Big Mesa ended up um, being one of the main farms that is sourcing food for this COVID relief CSA. So that's a perfect example of where like we, we want to support Big Mesa in being an economically viable business, but then we also recognize that in it, uh, this is a perfect year where we can see that Big, uh, a farm like Big Mesa provides food security for people who can't get food otherwise. And so by investing in cold storage for this farm, we're supporting them and being able to feed people, whether they're paying for it or not paying for it. Um, we, we need to have the food to start with. Um, and it really is just such a great story of seeing how all these different, all these different groups work together um, can, can, 
provide food security that is dramatically increased from where it would be otherwise. Yeah, not to be all apocalyptic, but I don't think it's impossible that one day the global food supply chain is going to (laughs) collapse and um, temporarily or permanently. (laughs) And so the more we can do to build our local food security and access now, the better shape we are going to be in if and when that um, terrifying scenario happens. Yeah, I mean, the Mendocino Grain Project has been one of our awardees um, to help build for, I think the last grant they got was to help build fertility in some of their fields. And the Mendocino Grain Project is one of the absolute heroes of the pandemic where um, they've had flour and grains and beans and staple crops like those throughout the pandemic, even in times when grocery store shelves did not have those items. and we're completely sold out of flour. So like literally there's no flour at the grocery stores. This is earlier in the pandemic um, back in, I think like April when there was a lot of panic buying going on. Mendocino Grain Project still had flour. So our community investment in these farms that we have means that there's food there for us um, for all different customer bases when we need it. And the there are a lot of ways that the good farm fund is partnering back with the community um other than giving out grants there's the food food stamp match program that the that the good farm fund has worked on for years and like you mentioned this year the food hub giving covid relief csa baskets or boxes out to families who need them there there are so many ways that all of these farm and food programs are working together to make this happen and and really supporting the farms knowing that that's where that's where it all starts that's where all of the food comes from that um that we're trying to provide through food stamp match at the farmers markets or through the the food hubs csa program and this year um this year there have also been some changes to kind of reflect that in the grant application and in in um, what the grant committee is looking at with um, with these w- with these applications, so um, I was talking with Elizabeth a little bit about this before the show. But Caroline, maybe you can talk about how or where that shift came from. Yeah, um, I mean, so every year we go over the grant application and guidelines because we almost always learn something during the year or from the the prior cycle, and they need updating. And the biggest light bulb moment that we had this year was that in the past, our mission statement has said that we support food access for all people. Um, And in response to the Black Lives Matter movement this year, we realized that the language was really, really needed updating badly, where um, it was very reminiscent of the like Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter dialogue that can happen and the conflict that can come up about that. And we really wanted to be specific saying, we're working for food access for underserved members of the community. Yes, we support food access for all people in our community, but really the work that we're focusing on, this like large volunteer group that we have that works together on the Good Farm Fund, we're trying to make sure that people who are low income or underserved or whatever reason that those people can get food still and that they can get nutritious, um, nutritious, fresh, amazing, delicious food. That's the stuff that uh, people who can shop at the farmer's market are 
one of our local grocery stores can get. Elizabeth, can you talk a little bit about the importance of that distinction? Um, why it's important to really specifically call out communities that we're trying to support? Oh, how, um, I'm not going to say how political do you want me to get because really equality shouldn't be political. Um, and yet here we are. So, um, yeah, I think that 2020 has really opened a lot of our eyes to a lot of the harsh realities, um, that, that face communities in the United States and around the world. I think the Black Lives Matter movement has really done more to highlight that than anything else. Um, you know, black people, black men, um, black trans men and women are getting murdered at pretty horrifying rates by citizens and police alike. So they also, you know, black people and brown people have much more limited access to land and capital. Um, and just in, in every way, really, the, the system isn't broken. The system is working as intended. It was built by white men for white men and white women also benefit, obviously. And so anything we can do to start breaking that system open so that it better serves everybody is a step in the right direction. And so that's why when we say Black Lives Matter, obviously we know that all lives matter, but right now we need to focus on the lives that haven't been valued. And so it's really exciting to me that the Good Farm Fund is taking the stand, you know, about representing um, wanting to serve underserved communities um, because it's time. It's, like, it's 2020. It's time to, to wake up to the realities and really start making meaningful change wherever we can. And so Mendocino County you know, has an interesting divide. It, we, it's often spoken about as a white a white county when that's that's actually not the case, and that there are a lot of Latin, Latino and other populations, mostly mostly Latino populations in Ukiah and Anderson Valley, um, mm -hmm. working um, working in agriculture. And so, you know, I I know that it's been over the years that I've been on the grant committee and looked at these applications, it's been primarily white farmers. Um, is there a shift in that, that you, either of you are seeing, or if not, how can we, how can we as a community and maybe good farm fund try to encourage, encourage that? That is such a good question, Ruthie. And it's something that we have struggled with in this community, and I'm sure it's not unique to us. Um, I was one of the original founders of the Farmers Convergence, and year after year, we struggle with how to better engage the Latinx population. Um, and I still think that that's, you know, not something that has been solved in any real way. So um, I don't have <laughs> a great answer other than just awareness um, and constantly fighting the good fight and being, um, you know, as we are three white women on this call, and I know that racial justice and equity is really important to all three of us. And hopefully just, you know, people like us and others can continue to be allies and um, speak out. It's, you know, white supremacy is a system built by white people, and it's up to white people to dismantle it. 
So, yeah, this is just one small way that we can all participate in that. But I'm going to let Caroline speak to whether or not we have more um, black and brown applicants <laughs> than in the past, because I haven't reviewed the applications in the past, so I don't actually know if it's more this, this year. That's a great question, and also I don't have demographic info in front of me, so my short answer is I don't know. Um, yeah, I, 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 I actually am not on the, I'm not reviewing applications this year. I'm helping facilitate those meetings, but I don't have the historic demographic info in front of me, but um, it is an interesting question. And I think for me personally, um, I feel very much like an, uh, like, like a beginning level expert in some areas of food. Like I know a lot about different varietals of winter squash. Like I can identify them really easily, but in a lot of this work for racial equality and racial justice, I completely feel like a beginner. And so my main role in trying to be a better ally has been just to listen as much as I can. So I am by no means an expert and I am trying to be a good listener and really um, be open to adjusting. Uh, I want to be open to feedback from the community about how to adjust how I'm, how I work and how I volunteer and how I communicate with people. And that is what's felt like the appropriate choice for me this year. I think acknowledging how little I know is, seems like an important first step for me. So, um, I want to yeah. read you a quote Caroline, that speaks to um, exactly what you just said and what I think so many people feel. So it says, the beauty of anti-racism is that you don't have to pretend to be free of racism to be an anti-racist. Anti-racism is the commitment to fight racism wherever you find it, including in yourself, and it's the only way forward. And we see in the food system, globally and locally, um, how, you know, embedded white supremacy is. And one of the main ways is access to capital. So by making these applications um, for a good farm fund, you know, by really wanting to target black and brown farmers, and maybe that's something that can be harder to do in a community that does have, um, you know, sort of this like ingrained identity of being a quote unquote white community. Um, by opening ourselves up to the reality that white supremacy is rampant in food systems and specifically access to capital for black and brown farmers. I think we can, we have nowhere to go, but up really like it's, it's, yeah. it's horrible. And it's also really exciting that there is sort of this collective wake up call and that we are trying to do something about it. And however imperfect our efforts may be, I think the only thing we can do is, is do our best and, and commit to keep learning and pushing forward. Thank you both. I know it's a difficult conversation. I really appreciate having it on on the air for our whole community to hear. And um, and I also want to read something because uh, I've been thinking about this 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 issue a lot. And last month we had the Gardens Project as a as a guest for um, Farm and Garden Show, and hearing about a lot of that Latinx community working in agricultural fields, but not owning land or not even having access to land, you know, to grow food. And so the Gardens Project stepping in to increase access to land for people who don't have access. You know, we're talking about access to capital for a good farm fund, but access to land, I think, is one of the one of the biggest reasons why we're not seeing applications coming 
from the communities we're talking about. Um, and so um, I, I've got a friend, Kylie Clark, who's looking for land now. She's a black queer farmer, um, currently farming in Sonoma County and has been up in Mendocino um, and is traveling all over the West Coast looking for farmland. She she held a, an amazing viral um, GoFundMe fundraiser to help her buy land um, this year. And, and it, you know, it did go viral and a lot of people supported it. And in recognizing that black land ownership is, is, it's just, a, it's a pretty disgusting and horrible fact that, that there's so much separation and so much, um, um, I'm trying to think of the right word. Well, yeah, the lack of access, I'll just say the lack of access and the reasons behind the lack of access are pretty horrifying. And so yeah, I mean, Ruth, Ruthie, mm -hmm. to give like specific numbers to what you're saying, black farmers own somewhere between one and three percent of all the farmland in the United States. But they make up, I believe, 20 percent of the population. Right, right. So that's pretty horrifying. <laughs> yeah, it it is, and and she's experiencing a lot of the, a lot of the inherent racism that there is in, in landowners who are looking to lease their land. Um, and so following her account has been really illuminating for me. And if you're interested in following this um, story, her, she's posting it on Instagram. Her account is called Fresh to Farming. Um, and here's a piece. She says, "Leasing land is for the privileged." Leasing land is usually the first suggestion given when we think about how cost-prohibitive land ownership can be. Unirrigated land is sometimes an eighth of the cost of a plot with water access, seemingly making leasing a better option when raising livestock. Over the last few years, I have been offered plenty of opportunities to rent land, and so far I've turned them all down except for the one time I now wish I would have passed on. There are quite a few landowners out there willing to let me, let me turn their land into a Martha Stewart living market garden of their dreams just as long as the farm looks magazine ready at all times. I've turned down everything from shady garden sized areas to offers to farm a celebrity's house only for one year. I've turned down an offer from a celebrity chef after learning that his land was down a 14 mile washboard dirt road and there was no water in the well and I had to grow to his spec, but he wasn't going to pay me to fix up his land that he owned. Every offer comes with the chance to use land that has never been used in farming, resuscitate brick dry, patches of land into living soil, landowners approach me with the thought in their mind that I will transform their property at absolutely no cost to them, and they'll gladly charge asinine amounts to rent from them when they have no infrastructure from the start. Call me crazy. This is just a piece of, um, of what Ooh, she talks so about. Good. <laughs> She's, yeah. oh, I follow her. Thanks to Ruthie, actually. I think you turned me on to her. Yeah. Um, her account is so powerful, and what she's trying to do is so important. Um, and I also want to point out that when we talk about underserved populations, that can also include people who live in poverty, which most, <laughs> many, if not most small farmers live in poverty. Um, and so I think the situation she's describing is exacerbated by the fact that she's a black queer woman. And I think a lot of um, farmers of all, you know, racial backgrounds can probably empathize with this account of trying to lease land from people who don't understand what it actually takes to create a farm, to build living soil, to build infrastructure, 
and um, land access is absolutely problematic for any small farmer. And that is another thing that the Good Farm Fund um, is hoping to help with in whatever way we can. And I think if you are listening to this and you are a farmer landlord, take note and be kind. <laughs> yeah. And, I, you know, I, I know you don't have the numbers in front of you, Caroline, but I, I'm thinking back to the years I was on the grant committee and, and trying to remember kind of what the breakdown is of farmers who are landowners versus farmers who are leasing, um, who are applying. And I know we've had issues in the past with with thinking about these grants when they come down to like fence building, permanent permanent infrastructure, for instance, and the Good Farm Fund does fund things like that, but it's it's a difficult question when it's a, a farmer who's leasing land and that and they're applying for funds to put in permanent infrastructure um, that they're not going to be able to take with them that will that will increase the value of the landowner's land and um, so it's just it's a it's a very difficult question but that that relationship between the landowner and the farmer um and who's responsible for what and and how we as a community can support the can support the farmer who's leasing land is just such an important question yeah this is such a huge topic that it's almost i'm like scared to even dig far too far into it because it's land access is such a huge issue and my my gut reaction is um the Good Farm Fund right now does mini grants, like the highest level of funding that we do for an individual farm is $7,000, which really does nothing for land access. So this is because of our, um, this is because of the age and the type of fundraising that we've done so far. We're a fairly new project uh, and we just don't have enough funding to help with land access yet. I think it certainly is something that um, we could work on in the future, but all of these stories resonate with me personally very deeply because I've moved farms several times and I've been in the search for land uh, several times and uh, just I want to add my exclamation points to everything that you just read from uh, that one that one woman. I've had that exact same experience here. Yeah, um, living in poverty and then expecting someone uh, and then having someone where my, I'm living in poverty and having someone expect that I'll make their house look like, their property look like a Martha Stewart uh, magazine ready. For, like, yeah, it, it just, <laughs> don't even get me started. People's romantic notions of farming collide yeah, with reality. Right. And the farmer in that case is, the, is always gonna be the loser, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, Ruthie, to answer your previous question about the percentage or the ratio of farmers who are applying who lease versus own, I can say just based on reviewing this year's applications, there are a lot of farmers who lease. Um, so in the application, if you lease your farm, you have to indicate, um, you know, whether or not we can contact the landowner. And uh, we also ask for um, a, a lease agreement that shows you're allowed to farm and or a letter of support from the landowner. So I, again, Mendocino and Lake counties are so cool. I mean, they're such great communities. So the, the, the landlord letters that I've been reading are honestly quite touching. 
Um, That's nice. It's about <laughs> how they have their, you know, full permission to do whatever and they support them and they have, you know, these leases that go forever and oftentimes they're um, being charged below market value. So while that's certainly not the case for the majority of small farmers, I do want to give a shout out to the landowners in our communities that some landowners that are leasing to farmers, um, they they really do seem to be doing right by by them, at least the folks that are applying to the Good Farm Fund. Nice. Yeah, and to jump in, actually, I think one of the things that the Good Farm Fund has seen that we can do uh, to support these relationships between farmers and landowners um, without having a lot of money is open open communication is really important between a farmer and a landowner. So we recognize that there are a lot of farmers in Mendocino County who just have like handshake agreements with their landlords and don't have really fancy leases worked out but that open communication is actually the most like one of the most positive things that you can have and so we basically just ask applicants to have a discussion with their landowner about doing a project and like that that's really just the best thing to do um so we're not asking for any kind of really elaborate documentation, just like a quick note is all that we actually asked for to show that they had had a conversation. And I, I do remember in the past also at times going back to the applicants and asking, or or even going back to the landlords and asking for like a cost sharing um, for fence building. I have a memory of of, of asking the landlord to um, to support a fencing operation through in some investment so that it's sort of like a you know a mutual buy-in and that seems like that's been really powerful and and i will say that most of the most of the grants are not for physical infrastructure that will stay in place most of it is portable or um deconstructible and um and that uh there there's there's also been interesting moments where i think the good farm fund will ask um a grant recipient to you know, like if, if you're, if you are no longer using something or you're, or you are finished with a piece of infrastructure or equipment or a tool that you find a way to pass it on, um, to the rest of the community. So like, for instance, the school of adaptive agriculture got a chicken scalder in the very first year of the good farm funds existence. And then no longer when it was doing, um, meat birds. And so, donated that chicken scalder to Sisters Ridge Farm so that they could use it for their meat operation. And I think there've been a lot of really great moments where farmers are supporting each other through this um, by sharing the equipment or passing it along. And um, and so I think that there have been some really great moments of interaction between farmers that I've noticed through the Good Farm Fund. Do you have any moments like that that you'd like to highlight, Carolyn? Yes, I was actually just going to say, I really have a story that I want to share with everyone. <laughs> uh, one of my highlight stories, uh, this this is, um, I'm trying to think, I miss having Zoom video going. That's my side note. Okay, one of my highlight stories is from Sealy Farm. So Sealy Farm was an awardee last year and they got a grant to... Uh, fix their cold storage. Colleen had a, Colleen is the head farmer there and her cold storage was old and I think had gotten damaged and worn out. And so they fixed their cold storage and um, this cold storage is a really key piece of a lot of different 
parts of the food system. As far as collaborating between farms, uh, Colleen was at a point in her career where she really wanted to focus on um, orchard fruit only. She had been doing diversified vegetables for many years, but she wanted to focus on orchard fruit. And so she still is doing pears, but her daughter has been working with her to gradually take over the diversified vegetables and to take over that farm. And this is another topic we talk about a lot with farm succession so that we actually see farms continue if a farmer decides that they want to retire or stop grow growing certain crops. And so her daughter ended up still doing all of these diversified vegetables and uh, Sealy Farm has been doing watermelons and other some other crops for many, many years. And they, they specialize in doing farm to school sales. So they sell to a whole bunch of school districts in Lake County, and then they also sell to a lot in Mendocino County. And I have this quote from Colleen's grant report saying, I'm so very grateful for this grant. It has given our farm more longevity to continue this farm to school venture that we started on over 10 years ago. My daughter is now taking over the path that I started, and these coolers are the tools that allow her to do so. Just that simple I've got several pages of stories from her, but just that simple section is so um, moving to me that we were able to provide some infrastructure that helps continue to have kids around both counties eating fresh fruits and vegetables on their school lunch menus. Um, it's really powerful. Yeah. In addition wonderful. to that, her cold storage also serves as the Lake County food hub node. So farmers who wholesale have access to that cold storage if they want to sell to the food hub. And then Colleen also leases that space to a wild rice grower in the off season where she's only using it for some of the year. And then during the other parts of the year, there's a wild rice farmer in Lake County who stores their seed in that space. And then it also gets leased to Round River Farm, which is a walnut farm in Lake County, and was another one of the kind of heroes of the pandemic where Randy had high calorie, nutrient dense food all through the pandemic. So like nuts are such a great, great crop that most people, a lot of people can eat. And that was an amazing one for uh, our food security story of the year. And yeah, I think those are like the, the top highlights of this story. Nice. Yeah, it's so incredible if I can just, I know we're coming to the end of the show, but, um, you know, we talk about the Good Farm Fund as something that supports farmers and it supports the community's access to food. Um, but a piece that I think doesn't get necessarily highlighted as much is that it supports a community of farmers. Mm-hmm. Um, it really, the, between the Good Farm Fund and the Food Hub, we really have come together as a community of farmers in ways that we probably never would have had a chance to interact before. I mean, Carson and Bees, we do honey, right? That is a very solitary job. It's my husband, Carson, in fields surrounded by bees, completely isolated from everybody else. Um, but, you know, we got one $500 grant a few years ago, which $500 might not seem like a lot, but when you don't have any other money to invest in infrastructure um, or new equipment in our case, it's significant. And that $500 um, has been, was so meaningful to us. And just the, the, the mission of Good Farm Fund is so meaningful to us that 
you know, we donate honey to all the fundraisers and we volunteer at all the fundraisers and we're constantly getting the word out and waxing poetic about the impact of this organization. So yeah, it's, it supports farmers and it supports our community and it supports the community of farmers and it's just, the best organization and everybody should donate money. If they can. <laughs> well, that's a great pitch. And, and I know it's not giving Tuesday anymore, but, um, it's always giving, Tuesday. it's always giving Tuesday. <laughs> it's perpetually giving Tuesday. And so, um, today's as good a day as any to, um, to donate some money to the good farm fund. But, you know, I think there's a lot of great organizations out there where you're listening right now about good farm fund because KZYX is coming out over the air, becoming a new member on new member Monday today would be a great way to contribute to your community. Um, going to the good farm fund website and contributing to good farm fund, another great way to give back to the community. And, um, there are so many ways that we can keep supporting each other, even when we're not allowed to hug and hang out and have 300 person events. So I will just say one, my, my big good farm fund. Thank you. Was that years ago, I was granted a, um, a trailer, a livestock trailer. And, you know, I, I, I thought about it a lot this year because I just, I think that farmers are some of the most giving service oriented people that we have. And, and, you know, I wrote for Giving Tuesday, I wrote, you know, if you give a farmer a gift, it's going to keep giving and giving and giving. And, and, and for me this fall, it was a great opportunity to use that trailer for helping, helping out the community. And I went over to Fortunate Farm and they had to disc up all of their winter feed for a, a gorse removal project. And so, um, I was able to pick up the fortunate, fortunate farm flock of sheep in my good farm fund trailer and haul them back to Ridgewood where they can join my flock. And later we'll be hauling all of those animals down to Dark Horse Vineyard and Ukiah for contract grazing. And all of the, all of these pieces are moving around the county because of good farm fund. Um, so there are so many more stories that we could tell. I know, um, but we are almost at the end of our hour. And so I'd like to ask, um, ask you both in a, in a quick few seconds, if you have anything else you'd like the community to know about Good Farm Fund or to think about this, um, this winter season. Hmm. Well, I think we've said everything there is to say about Good Farm Fund, but uh, I will just remind everybody that we live in a really special place. And one of the reasons we live in a special place is because we all participate in it. So your participation is critical and we need to all continue to commit to live in the community, to build the community we want to live in. Awesome. Caroline, do you have anything you'd like to add? I'm just very inspired by what we've done so far as a community. And I'm, I'm optimistic about what we're going to do in the future. It's absolutely a bright light in a year that's been really challenging, looking at this area, um, looking at this area as a bright light and inspires me to keep going, so. This has been the Farm and Garden Show with Elizabeth Archer and Caroline Radice, and we'll talk to you next month. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can go to kzyx.org to find more shows and content like this one. While there, you can stream us live or check out our jukebox. And if you like what you hear, consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. We are Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, listener-supported community radio. KZYX, Philo, 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Woolits and Ukiah, 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Thanks for listening.